Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. Gentlemen, feels like it's been a long time, but I think just because Brent was away last time, I think is why it feels that way. But we're back together, the four of us. Uh, I'm really excited to get into the conversation for this week. But before we do that, since that last event, we have had a nice influx of influx of listeners um, and patron uh, subscribers. So I just want to give a big shout out to those of you who reached out, um, gave us a couple bucks for doing what we do. Um, you get writing prompts, access to the Discord, and all kinds of other stuff. So thanks to everybody who's done that. Um, and I just I can't we can't thank you enough for for giving a little bit. Uh, of what you have for what we do. So it, it's a big, much, much, much appreciated. So uh, before we get into the rest of it, though, anybody else got anything else going on? I feel like it's been a while since we've checked in. Uh, so since I disappeared for a little bit, yes, I have had uh, two things come up. So I was recently on the podcast Fansplaining, and that's basically a fandom podcast. And the two hosts, actually one of the hosts, I was on a panel with her for um the discon i don't know what it was called last year but the hugos basically last year and we had we had a panel about fandom and we really kind of hit it off and so she stayed in touch and was like hey you want to come on the podcast i was like sure and so um basically if you like fandom stuff if you like fan fiction um i basically talk about how i went from being like a fanfic writer to being like an original storyteller in science fiction and fantasy so it's, it's it was kind of cool getting to talk about that journey, and um then what was it, what was the name of the show again? Oh, um, fansplaining, fansplaining, yeah. Instead of mansplaining, you know. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I yeah. just want to make sure I heard you right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'll that'll be in the show notes as well. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and after that, I had a YouTube interview with um a a booktuber, uh, Thistle and Verse, uh, Chloe Wiggins. Um, she invited me on to her YouTube channel to talk about my short story work. And yeah, it was a really cool interview. Um, I got to talk about kind of, you know, how I approach social media with both fire and like my own personal brand as an author. Then I got to kind of talk about like, um, you know, we talked about one of my older short stories that like I have complicated feelings about. But it was interesting getting to kind of talk about that and actually parse those feelings out online. And then, uh, you know, we um, talk about X-Men, talk about <laughs> different kinds of things. So um, it was a really good interview. Uh, yeah, um, check that out, too. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well. And, um, yeah, so that was it for me. Hopefully, um, I don't have to do too much more talking this year. I don't think anyone's trying to drag me on for stuff. But, uh, yeah, those, both of those were really cool. That's awesome. Is that it? No one else has anything going on? I got school. Yeah, you and me both, brother. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. I'm. We're doing finals right now, which is great. We'll be done by the eighth yeah. of December, and we're boring, Marshall. Well, there I said it. Yeah, no, they're boring, boring, but busy as hell. <laughs> no, I am proud of y'all. Y'all are doing, uh, y'all are uh, doing a great job, and thanks. You Brent. are going to be exceptional writers by the time you're done with it. Not that you aren't already. I hope so, because I keep taking a risk week after week, and it's exhausting. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, I can say this with affirmation now. Like I can actually say like this is from a pro editor's perspective, having Ooh. sold the book now. 
I can say that you all are having read each and every one of your work, that you are all much further along than you think you are. It means a lot, man. We appreciate it. Does. it. Are you wait? You said you sold a book. Are we allowed to talk about that yet? Or <laughs> I thought we did. Yeah, Malka. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we no, did. we've talked about it on the show. Yeah, oh, we have. Yeah. So, yeah. Man, I'm like keeping my mouth shut about it because I'm so excited <laughs> for her. Like, you can totally you know talk what? about it. It's on tour and everything. Oh, Malka's yeah. amazing. I cannot wait for this book from you, Brent. Well, I mean, honestly, she made it easy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, your memory's going, and this is kind of what the episode's about PTSD. So, so, Anyone uh, ever heard of TBI? <laughs> uh, I bought a house there. Um, so, TBI? TMI. I thought you said TMI. No, I said TBI. Um, I'm about to say you bought a house there? Like, I'm, that's a story. <laughs> but um, Okay, everyone. So today we are going to interview uh, our co-host founder, Nicholas Bright. And he's never had one just okay, slow your roll. Um, and he's never had an interview with just him, but specifically what we're gonna talk about is that Veterans Day um is Thursday, which you will hear this on Friday, uh, which is the day after Veterans Day. But Nick is a veteran, and we're gonna talk about uh his experiences, how it informs his writing, and then we're gonna also talk to um Brent later in the show of being someone who was raised in the military. So, Nick, are you ready for this? Am I allowed to be myself now? You can totally be you. Just be prepared. Um, oh, that's right. So, it's Will asking questions. Yeah, the girl I'm master, a, apparently. Just, I'm going to cry is what I'm getting at here. Um, but, you know, I really am not trying to make everyone cry. No, it's you're just not. I literally uh, cried during a movie earlier today. I cry at least twice a week when I'm watching a, some show with my wife. And I throw a pillow you know, at her and be like, I'm not crying. You're crying. We watched That's the end so of the funny. 11th Doctor last night with my kids. And I cried in both last two episodes. I mean, <sighs> don't get me started. Anyway, continue. Thank you. So, Nick, I'm going to ask you a question that we ask a lot of our guests. and. I want you to describe your writing journey in three words. Fast. I should have known this question was coming too. How are you not ready for this question? I know, (laughs) right? I listen to every interview. I'm here. So I would say fast, um, fast, tremendous. I'm going to go with that. Um, Educational. All right. So let's break down those words. Um, let's go with, um, fast. Why'd that come to mind? Cause that was the first word you said. Yeah. Fast. Um, be, so I've dabbled in writing over the years since I was in middle school, elementary school, never took it seriously. And then the cancer came and then I said, cool, this is what I'm doing with my life. And from that point I graduated, I, within six months, I'd gone to four workshops and conferences and kept that pace up for until COVID. Um, I had written f- six short stories in that time frame post COVID. So coming into 2020, 2021, finished a book. 
um, put a ton of stuff out on submission and got nice rejection letters back um, on stuff. And so it, for me, in a short amount of time, you know, I've, I've learned a ton, but I, I you know, I'm just moving fast as I can um, up until recently. Okay. And we're going to unpack a couple th- statements that you made just previous, but I want to wait. I want to talk about tremendous. Tremendous. I mean, this is like, to me, this is such a big opportunity, such a big world um, that I've, I've been able to be a part of um, and the people that I got to meet. So like, it's just been a tremendous experience for me to be able to be a part of all your lives and being able to share parts of my life in the written word where I can't express any other way. And let's go with educational. Man, you're always learning, always, always learning. I know I'm in school right now for a master's. However, your educational journey with writing doesn't stay with writing. I feel like, I feel like your education, educating yourself as a person, you know, as a, for me, as a father, as a husband, but also now I'm educating myself as a white male, you know, in society and I'm learning different things and I'm constantly learning. I'm changing my opinions based on what I'm learning, based on new facts and new things that I'm finding out. And so I feel like, you know, my writing journey has taught me a lot more in the last few years than I had the previous 10. So I want to go back to what you were talking about because we know you, the um, the three of us know you. We know about your cancer, um, and you've mentioned it briefly on the show. But it seems like that was a really big pivotal moment for you. You got your diagnosis, and then you said you you know went to like four different workshops. But the writing from that statement, it seems that there was always this spark of you loving story. And can you kind of talk to me about like, it's not like you just got cancer and you were like, I'm going to be a writer. Talk to me about the way that story has affected you. And did you write when you were a kid? Did you write while you were in the military? Talk to me um, a little bit about that. Yeah. So the first, it was second grade. It was a class assignment. We had to write a story about a teddy bear that goes to the moon. And what did they find? And I got into a little speed contest with someone else of who could write the most pages in the in the amount of time that we had. But it turned out like I just really enjoyed making stories um, at that point. So I had known since I was a little kid that I liked it. And I always kind of, like I said, I, I dabbled in it. I'd write a couple pages here and there of something and then move on to something else. Never really focused on anything. Um, high school did come. Um, and I got into poetry a lot. Um because what else does a young man who is hopelessly wanting to be in love and not finding it do, right? You, you write poetry for people you don't know yet. Um, so I got into poetry a lot and I did a couple short stories. And um, what I was writing then was really, I get for my age, it was a little darker. Um, a lot of loneliness was coming out of me and I didn't realize it then as I do now. Um, and then, you know, adult life came and you don't know what you're doing with your life and stuff like that. And eventually found myself in the military, um, and hadn't, wasn't really riding in the military at all until the, towards the end. 
um, when my first cancer diagnosis came through. So, and that was 20, 2014, 2015, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And that's when I started writing again, um, because it was a, it was a dark and lonely hell pit for me, especially being in the military. I had, I had zero, I had support on the face and on the surface of everything, but I didn't have anyone there for me. Like no one was there when I woke up from surgery. Like no one called me, no one texted me. And and as much as my family wanted to support me, they weren't there. You know, they, they let me call them and I let them know what was going on. And it was at a point I didn't even tell my mom I was going through surgery or anything like that. Like she didn't know. Um, So I kind of cut myself off from everyone. So it was, it was a pretty dark place um, and lonely road that I, that I had taken at that time. So I wanted to talk about when you were in the military and just what you said, you had people on the surface. Talk to me about your military experience. And the reason I'm asking this question is what people who are listening don't know that, you know, they haven't read your work like we have. Your military experience has greatly influenced what you're writing whether it has been conscious or unconscious, right? You have been really writing from this really beautiful place of uh, your character suffering some type of PTSD, right? And when I say beautiful place, I mean by that, that you're coming from a very honest place, from a very nuanced place. You're um, You're not just giving a character a trait. You're really coming from a really like, beautiful, raw, and honest position. So first, let's talk about the military. What was your experiences in the military, and how has it influenced about what you're writing? Um, man, that's a good question. Um, so my, uh, my military experience, right, I joined at 21, 22. Um, so I was the old guy that joined and I joined the infantry, which you're, you're a bunch of ground fighters. You're first in first out, um, with the, with the army. Um, and so my job was to be the best at killing other people at killing the enemy and destroying what they had. So you, you know, you train for it, you deploy for it. You, you're rewired to want to fight all the time. You're rewired to look at enemy combatants as just that combatants they're no longer people at that point um and i know there's some people that are gonna be like oh the military isn't trained that way like no it is it's why we call her the targets that we shoot at ivan's because of the cold war right it's why we called our targets that we were shooting at hajis like you're trained to hate your enemy in in a way and it's all very, very subtle um, on ha- how they do it. And it's more of a culture thing of people just being angry at the situation that they're in that's kind of sparked some of that stuff. Um, so I'm a very emotional person. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but uh, I wore my heart on my sleeve and I was an easy target for a lot of people um, in the military. I remember basic training. We did an exercise um, with my squad and they're like, tell the honest truth to another person in your squad. And someone walked up to me and says, you don't belong here. You're too emotional and too weak. Um, and that hurt, that hurt. It stung. Like 
a little bit. Um, but kind of vindicated like our, our drill sergeant at the time and said, what are you talking about? What do you mean he's too emotional? There's like, he can't handle any of this. Granted, I had never had a problem in basic training with, with any of that. Yeah, I missed I missed the girl I was dating at the time, but that was about it. Um, but then my drill sergeant was like, who are you going to talk to when your best friend dies? Who are you going to talk to when your leg gets blown off and you can't walk anymore? He goes, no, this guy being emotional in the military, that's your support system. That's the person that you're all going to turn to when shit hits the fan and you don't know how to control yourself is the person that's already dealing with that stuff and, and knows what they're experiencing and feeling. And so that felt kind of good, but at the same time you're trained killers. So like you always go after the, you know, someone's weak, weak spot in their life. Um, so I got picked on a lot in the military. I've had, I've been pinned down and had beer, tried to be poured down my throat before something I actually haven't shared with anyone. So that's new. Um, you know, just, just constantly berated and looked at as, as lesser, um, in the, in my early career. And so I think, I think coming out of that, like, and obviously not including a deployment here, like you, you have some psychological issues from that. You have some worthiness issues of, are you right for what you're doing? You know, are you good enough to be doing that? Like, and some ego that goes with that. So I want to talk about emotional support. And you just shared something that was really uh, personal and poignant. Let's fast forward to the future for a minute. You've gone through the military ranks for how long before your diagnosis? I had been in for four years already. So your four years. Yeah. Your four years. And then you don't have one person um, be with you at surgery. One, do you feel that that is a product of the military? Yeah. I'm not building connections. No, it's not about building connections actually. Um, Cause let's say I was with some, I was dating someone I got cheated on or I was dating someone and they died or whatever. Someone would have been there. But as soon as you, you are physically injured or mentally incapable of being combat ready, you're worthless. You're no longer good for the unit. Um, and that is a giant stigma that people are trying to fight outside of the military after veterans get out. Um, because you're constantly being told if you go to sit call, if you go to see a doctor, you're weak, you're broken, and we don't need you. If you can't train, you can't deploy, you're you're a warm body that needs to go. Um, so there's this huge stigma to taking care of yourself while you're in the military. And it's even worse for mental health issues than it is physical ailments. So you really, you're touching upon a lot. And like, I feel like I, I could do a sh- uh, four more episodes about this. But the one thing that I really feel like comes into your writing is the PTSD. But a lot of it is the flashbacks of being in the military. Mm-hmm. And whoever's listening, you can take this, what I'm going to say is political or not, but um, war is unnatural, right? To see that type of humanity at its worst when you're at war 
is just unnatural. We are putting our soldiers through things that are just no one should have to see. And people want to stand up in falsehoods of, I'm, I'm with my veterans, I'm with my veterans. But when it comes to laws, when it comes to mental health, uh, we see a lot of veterans be homeless, really struggle with PTSD. So I want you to talk to us and everyone who's listening about your PTSD as much as you'd like. Um, And also, you know, where you were stationed, you know, where did it stem from and how did, has it really affected you once you became a civilian again? Man, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, So I'll just start where I can on that one. So I was stationed in Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, I loved out there. First duty station. I deployed with the guys out there. Um, Some of my better memories aren't from there, though. That is the unit where I came in as a private, you know, didn't, wasn't always afforded the best opportunity, not, not afforded the best opportunities, but not always treated the same as others. Um, just because I was the nice Mormon guy, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. Like I didn't want to get involved in illegal activities like the others did. Um, and I'm saying all that and people are like, wait, you're in the military. What do you mean? Illegal activities? No, like you don't get paid a lot and you're bored. Like you find ways to entertain yourself and make money. Like it is what it is. Um, then, uh, you know, after our deployment, I came back and I was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Um, and at least there, I was able to be a team lead there, a fire team leader. So I did learn a lot of leadership experience and be able to help coach some of these younger guys underneath me, um, and kind of teach them different than I was taught, um, in certain aspects and be able to use, well, you know, what was being told to me that, that it was a weakness, turned around and used it as a strength at that point. Um, I was closer to the guys there at Fort Polk um, than I was at Fort Carson, even though I deployed with them. Um, and it's, it, this is a little odd for, for a lot of people. PTSD is expressed in many different forms. I deployed in a never fighter weapon, never got blown up, nothing like that. I've had plenty of opportunities to do all those. And when you sit there and all of a sudden says, Hey, you know, basically battle ready, you get ready for a fight. There's a lot of anxiety that's going on. There's a lot of built up pent up emotion that goes on in anticipation that, okay, shit's about to go down. I'm about to drop 300 rounds on this guy. And then you just sit there and you stare at him and you stare at him and you stare at him. Next thing you know, it's two hours later. Your adrenaline dump never happened. So that adrenaline stayed through your body and stuff like that. Um, and so for me, my my PTC expresses itself in a couple different ways. One of them is I've had nightmares of people dying on my deployment that I'd never deployed with. Um, I watched a, a platoon sergeant of mine be shot in the head two weeks straight every single night um, to the point where I wasn't able to sleep. And how to go go see someone about it and stuff like that. Um, I've seen family members die in war, in, in dreams and stuff like that. Um, that's that's one way it's it's expressed for me. Um, another thing way that it expresses if I'm put in a situation where I'm helpless, 
where I can't help another person or I can't do anything to better the situation. Um, and that, that one's a little bit different. We, we had a couple blind kids that we had in a village near us that we would frequent and, uh, two boys, they had to follow their 13 year old sister around and they were treated like dirt because they were worthless at that point. They couldn't farm. They couldn't chew. They couldn't do anything. They were reliant on a woman, therefore they were less than a woman. And if, you know, Taliban culture, like you're the lowest of the low at that point. Um, and so anytime you try to help these kids out, walking sticks, you know, books, anything like that to help them, Taliban would come in and just take it out. So they wouldn't even, they weren't, so it forced them to be reliable on a woman, right? which is even worse for, you know, for that family and how they were treated. Um, so being put in situations where I'm helpless, like, you know, I, I had a moment where I almost, I basically lost it on a train because a mom was in a wheelchair and her two kids were riding with her. And one of the kids fell down and hurt himself. Couldn't get you know, she couldn't help pick him up and she was too far away for anyone else to help her. Um, you know, so, you know, you got a crying kid who, can't have his mom pick him up. And so that that's a moment for me that, that really set me off that, you know, I, I struggled a lot with. I'm also an asshole at times. I'll say well, that too. And that's kind I, of part of deflection when I get in put, put into certain situations where I go on the offensive rather than let someone else try to run the room. If, you know, they're, they're acting a certain way. I also have to sit with my back towards the wall at all times in restaurants or have an exit strategy everywhere I go. And then, I mean, talk to any cop, right? They do the same thing. Most military people too, they're going to do the same thing. Like that's not an uncommon thing, Um, but just, just the way that it expresses for me. No, I'm the one who's crying. Um. Okay, I'm nice and red and flushed over here. So let's talk about those experiences and then your writing. Mm -hmm. And is it something that has been very unconsciously into your writing? Or did you consciously want to say, you know what, I need to take some of these experiences and I need to put this, I need to funnel this through my stories. Uh, it's very purposeful. So my experience after the military um, taught me a lot on myself and others that experience what I go through. One of the big issues coming into the military that a lot of veterans face is they don't have a sense of belonging anymore. They don't have a purpose. They don't have a task anymore. You lose that once you lose the military. Because in the military, I always knew what I was doing. I always knew what I was working for. And it wasn't me that decided it was someone else. So when you get out, you're on your own. You don't get help. You get talked to by a bunch of civilians right before you leave that you need to go to college, get a job, do this, do that. But you don't have a support network really afterwards unless you build it yourself or go out and find one. Um, So having a sense of purpose is something that a lot of people struggled with. Um, Personally, I didn't. I knew... I had plenty of opportunities to research, do what I need to do. When I was doing my cancer treatment, they basically pulled me and just let me do that. That was the only thing I did for six months was 
get treatments and stuff like that. Um, didn't have to do anything else. So I already had a plan, got into school and stuff like that. And, you know, a few years into school, I actually became a, uh, a peer mentor for other veterans that were struggling um, through the VA in my school. Um, you know, and I worked with a, our veterans club at my college that I went to. I, I worked at the Veterans Success Center there. So I got to work with a lot of veterans that I, you know, we all have the same story, just a different shade. Right. You know, and uh, you hear a lot of people like they can't talk to civilians about certain things because they don't feel like they'll understand them because they didn't live that same experience they lived, um, which is a very common thing. I mean, and Brent, you probably heard you, you know, might have heard your dad say something similar where he's not going to talk to someone that hasn't been through what he's been through. Oh yeah, um, all the time. <laughs> all the time, right? It's a military thing. Like yeah. we don't believe that if you haven't been shot at, you're going to relate to my trauma. And it, to an extent, my experience has proven that yeah, that's correct. My experience has, but I know others, their experience that they've been able to find people who haven't been through that same type of trauma, and they understand it, and they and they feel safe in those places. Um, so with my writing, like I, I kind of felt like. I've been through things. I've learned things. I'm very emotionally aware of what I'm going through. And so it helps me get through my PTSD, depression, anxiety moments. And so with my characters, I always want to have that expressed there, have having someone struggle with that and finding a way to deal with that in hopes that maybe a veteran picks up one of my books or someone, anyone struggling with PTSD and trauma that they read one of my characters identifies with them and realize I need help too. I need to do this just like my, this character did. I think it's interesting uh, what you said about um, PTSD and just having to be like battle ready at all times and what that does to your brain. Because a few things um, to talk about the brain, um, uh, the, Magnetic Renaissance Imaging, MRIs, uh, they actually have shown, and it's been made possible for scientists to watch at the weight, at the rate at which the brain develops, specifically for the male brain. And what research has actually found, and I can actually put in some links for the show notes about multiple different resources for everyone to read. So it's very well studied by a lot of different people around the world. Um, boys, men's brains are not fully developed until the age of 25. We are putting 18-year-olds, and Nick was 22 when he started, and their brain hasn't already finished developing. You know, we're putting them into these like battle-ready positions, and we aren't fully when they are then released as a civilian. Are we, Nick, I'm going to ask this to you. In your opinion, do you feel that we are doing enough for our veterans when they come out of being in the military? No. What is the most common misconception by the general public when it comes to the mental health of soldiers? That everyone has PTSD and we're unfunctional 24-7. Talk to, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so most of us who have deployed and have been to war have PTSD in some way, shape, or form. 
Some are mild, some are not, some accept it, some don't. Um, I believe if you deploy, you come back with something. You you are not the same mentally. Um, there was actually a photographer that for multiple units, she did pictures the week before they deployed and the week they got back and showed how much they've aged over a year. An yeah. 18-year-old looking kid going from a kid to looking like a 30-year-old man. You know, just due to the stress and stuff like that. So I always feel like everyone comes back with something. But, like, I let's talk Hollywood real quick, too. Hollywood fetishizes the military. They're, name a military character that was a normal functioning person day in, day out of their job and didn't have some tragic breakdown every six months on the show or in a movie where they almost killed someone or killed themselves. Like, it's just, I, th- I feel like Hollywood, in a sense, paints us in a, in a certain light where we're just dysfunctional all the time. Um, or, like, we're not reliable. And, and the truth of the matter is, like, we suffer in silence more most of the time. Like, you're not going to know, like, what's going on until someone actually says something. Um, you know, and going back to, we don't, we talk to other veterans, so unless you're a veteran, like you don't hear about it a lot. Do you feel that that creates an insular culture that doesn't give you the tools on which to actually cope and work through your PTSD? Um, so part of it, I, I, you know, I'll talk job market. People mm-hmm. don't understand military skill sets. If I say, Hey, I was a, I was a military leader for 10 years. I can manage a team. It doesn't matter what industry that is. I can manage your team because I have the skill set to work with different people, work with different personalities and and figure out how to get the job done regardless of my personal experience. But that doesn't translate over into the civilian world, right? They're like, oh, military experience. That's cool. Like, you're awesome. You're a veteran. Like, we'll talk to you. It gets your foot in the door to have an interview. But like the skill sets that you learn... Obviously, I'm speaking from the lens of a combat arms person. So unless I'm being a cop, my skill sets really don't transfer um, day-to-day basis here. Um, I, I, I feel coming out of the military, you're not equipped mentally to handle it. Because one day you're, you could go from I'm training to go to combat to a week later I'm out of the military. Because the week before they needed to hit their training numbers, so they had to put you in there. Like there's not a t- there's a there's a time period at the you know your last six months you're able to take five or six classes, hour long classes, to help you prepare to get into this civilian world. But it's just not enough. Like you need you need to be demilitarized at that point. You need to be able to wear what you want every day to your job. You need to be able to figure out like, you know, what you, what it is you want to do after you get out. You need to have that chance to sit down with some, with a doctor and express what ailments you have with no penalty. Let's bring this back to writing for a minute. I'm just trying to unpack so much of everything that you're telling me. Um, when it comes to your writing, when, and when it comes to writing, what are the things that you want to bring to light that we don't get to see 
or what is the nuanced conversation that we need to have uh, when it comes to talking about the military to um, soldiers, PTSD, mental health? That's a good one. Um, well, first, uh, and let's talk about soldiers, right? We're just kids. It's like if you're wa- watching college football, we're just kids. But we're asked to do something that most people aren't asked to do. And so when it comes to the military, like, there's a lot of times, like, you know, we're glorified because we're willing to die. You know, and, and to me, if you sign up to be in the military, you just said, I'm willing to die for my country. Um, whether you are or not, like, it could happen. And, and I think it kind of gets over glorified that we're just kids trying to figure out life. And this was our best option or this was our only option or, or we were expected to do this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, so I think when it comes to the military and, you know, hearing the stories that you hear, like you got to remember, like we're just kids in a situation. We did what we felt was right. A lot of the times, you know, obviously there's a lot of training that goes into it, but most of us didn't sign up for glory, for honor, you know, if you if you take society and you put it into a barrel, we're at the bottom of that barrel a lot of the times. But some of us can float to the top. You know, and those, those are the people that exemplify what it is. You know, being being able to sacrifice and stuff like that, and living up to to the standard that people look at us. But we're just kids. We're just kids trying to figure it out and grow up in the military and you don't really get the chance. Uh, I'll say this too. Most veterans I know we hate like, please don't do it. Don't thank me for my service. That's just a job. You don't go thanking teachers. They actually deserve it. You don't go thanking cops. Like, well, some people don't, some people do, but like Tess is just a job. Like, there was days I just sat around and did nothing and people would be like, thank you for your service. It's like, for what? I mopped a room today. Like I didn't do anything great. And that's kind of overall, like feeling a lot. People's like, I'm not doing anything great. I'm not doing anything special. I'm just doing what I'm, what I should do, what I have to do to get by. It's a weird, like, and I think that's a military thing too, where like, we don't really pay comments. We don't accept like the whole you did awesome. You're great. Like it's no, like this is what we do. This is what we have to do. We accomplished the mission. We did it as a team. So taking on compliments and stuff like that has always been hard in regards to that. Cause it feels uncomfortable. It feels awkward when someone says that. Um, my dad uh, fought in the Vietnam war. And he um, he suffers from Alzheimer's right now. So there's been a lot of things that have been coming out because he never would really like, unless I specifically asked him, and I asked him this once, and this was only like, I think like 10 years ago uh, before his diagnosis. And I said, uh, he said to me, I'm so happy that you never had to go into the military. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, 
um, why Poppy? I don't understand. Like, you know, you were always proud of it. He goes, I was proud that I did something for the country, but I'm not proud of the deeds that I had to do for my country. There, I want to bring up a book. It's called On Killing. Um, it's a, you know, it's about the psychological cost of going to war. Um, it is by Dave Grossman. I believe he's, he's like a colonel or something like that, retired. But it's talking about the unnaturalness of killing and going to war and what it does to you. And there, I mean, and there's some thoughts out there as well that PTSD is an injury. And I think he kind of touches on this too, that you can heal from all injuries. Um, so that's a good book to check out to get a better understanding of what it takes to get to the point to, you know, be able to kill, to take a life. So I am going to move this over to my other co-host, Brent or Marshall. And if they want, they have anything they want to ask Nick, because I actually have a list of questions, but I just, we're just not going to be able to get through them because there's just so much to unpack. And I think instead of for me to constantly just keep asking my questions, I think I personally, and I hope people who are going to listen to this will actually just sit and replay this episode and just listen to what Nick has talked about his own experience. Because when you actually hear a lot of these experiences from the veterans, to me, it brings so much the gravity of um, what we ask our young men and women to actually have to go through. And we need to start asking ourselves bigger picture questions as a people. So Marshall or Brent, it is all you. Do you, you want to go, Brent? Um, I mean, if you got some Marshall, you go first. No, I, there was something that you said early on, Nick, that, that got me thinking a little bit. And it's probably because I teach teenagers and the bullying part of it. Um, I find really for writers out there that are trying to write different experiences and it doesn't have to be military, but just, you know, when you're writing a bully character or, you know, what do they go after? You know, you said you were older, so they came after you and they said you were too emotional. Right. So I've had a lot of students who have gone to the military. Right. Um, and a lot of them were bullies going into the military. So I'm just curious and, and this is just something that's been just bouncing around in my head. I don't know how that translates. I don't know what happens, you know, from I'm a bully in high school to going to the military. You, do, do you see where I'm going with this? So, yeah. so, so essentially what I'm asking is from a writing perspective, if I'm going to write a true experience, if I'm writing a young adult or something that's a bully, whether it's military or not, like what is that, how does that look from, high school to like you said a kid fighting right what happens to the bully what happens to you know do they become part of the team etc and 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 that kind of thing if you have any experience in that 
Yeah, so bullying is actually really different as well. And maybe I'm making excuses for it as I say this too. Um, I mean, we all know about hazing and hazing in the military. Like that, there was a big push when I was in to stop that. Like, and I even got into trouble a few times for making soldiers do push ups because of their mistakes. It's just what you did, right? Granted, if you're making them do something, you have to explain why it's wrong, just like you do with the child, right? Um, but they went to a paperwork style army and that's what they wanted instead of physical activities. But with bullying, like, doesn't matter how bad I was bullied. I still would have died for those guys. They still would have died for me. Like, and and I think that's where it's different, where it becomes a culture thing. It becomes, it becomes a thing where like you legitimately just haze each other because you're bored. You got nothing else to do. And there was times where I had to deal with situations that a kid came up to me and be like, Hey, this soldier keeps making fun of my mom because she's gay. And I don't like that. And right away, it was like, okay, we're done. Like, you bring that shit up again, yeah. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Like, he said he doesn't like it. It's off limits. Like, you have to respect him as a human being. And and so I think that's where it's a little different where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like a high school bully is, is someone who has had far more complicated issues of being inferior in other situations and wants to be that. I think bullies coming into the military – especially in the beginning, they get they get put down. But there's going to be a time and place where they're going to be able to be that bully again, to be on top of again. So I think, I think it's an interesting play there to show that bully be at the bottom and then come back and see if they change or see if they don't. Brent? Um, so I'm going to ask this based on just my own background and being around people who have left the military. What do you miss? Man, I miss my worst memories because they're also my fondest. Um, For example, we went out to a training site. We were supposed to be there for a week. We're in Louisiana. Monsoon season in Louisiana, and we're about to hit with a three-day storm. So we go out a day early. But the range we went to that we were supposed to sleep at, we're supposed to sleep in some call them connexes, right? Railroad cars. We're supposed to sleep in them, but there's no one. It's still occupied. So I sat in the rain, in monsoon rain, Louisiana, on my pack with my dudes, talking about how much our life sucked at that moment. One of my best memories. Like, because you're, it sucks so bad that you can't help but laugh. Like, I remember time in Epicanist, and it was so hot, and they had me on a gravel road. And I just laid there and almost passed out. Miserable moment. I hated my life. Now I look at it, it was like, oh, man, I'd go back to Afghanistan in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, I, I'd, I'd go put my kit back on. Um, so I, I miss the memories you create with people due to shitty circumstances. Yeah. I, 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 uh, that, that you, you sound like every other soldier I've ever known. They always miss those things. So I, I asked the question already knowing the answer, but I just wanted to see if it would hold true. So, yep. Uh, can I throw one more thing out there real quick? Because I've been around you when you've answered these questions before, when it's writing specific and, it, mm-hmm. and it's about the military. Um, you know, we've talked how many times about you know sensitivity readers and stuff like yeah. that, beta, re- you know. So. 
how how do you deal with people coming to you for sensitivity reads around the military um asking you even just random questions like I've asked you I'm writing you know the the book I'm writing I I've leaned on you and a couple other folks who I know in the military as well but like I know how I feel sometimes if I don't have the bandwidth to deal with somebody coming to me like, Hey, can you read this thing and tell me if I'm being racist? Like, not that they're <laughs> saying that, but you, yeah. you, you see where I'm going. Well, this, I mean, right? I, I that literally what I ask you every time, <laughs> uh, Marshall, but, does I this mean, sound racist? Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, is that something like, does it bring stuff I, up for you or how do you deal with that? I actually love sensitive sensitivity reads. Um, grain of salt here. No one's written a PTSD story and asked me to read it though. Um, so I haven't had the opportunity to experience that most of the time people were like, Oh, you're military. Cool. Did I get this, this aspect, right? Did I get this aspect? Right. Um, you know, it's, and usually it's around rank structure and like command chain and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it hasn't been too difficult. I'm always happy to do it. Um, you know, when it comes to, to writing a military character, like I always make them dynamic. Like we're not single celled organisms. Like we're not what you see on TV. Like, you know, we're, we're an everyday person that likes football, likes cooking, maybe has multiple wives on the side, like, (laughs) or husbands, like, you know what I mean? Like we're just everyday people. We just happen to wear a uniform, um, you know, an answer to the government. But again, my experience is different than yours. It is different saying someone saying, Hey, is this racist? And you having, you know, kind of look at that and reflect on your experiences versus, you know, whatever I had to deal with and people asking about rank and structure and organization. And I'll say this, if you have a made up world and a made up military and it's not reflective of any current world military, don't ask a military person to read it. Because at that point, it is strictly what's in your imagination and whatever works for you works. Unless you specifically want to base it on a current military. Any other any other questions, huh? I got a little fun one. So to, to maybe pull back and lighten it up a little bit. All right. So I, I got a little dark it, there. That's eh, OK. Um, in terms of. OK, so like when you read these big battle scenes in like science fiction or fantasy What's one thing that you wish that you would either see more of or see less of when writers are like constructing these things tactics if i can look at your scene and be like what about this giant area you didn't talk about over here um you know like it is the biggest thing look at basic military tactics it's go it go we've got tactics from time of jesus like even beyond like as long as we've been recording stuff people record military tactics and battle tactics and they change over time what we did in vietnam versus what we did now is because of the mistakes we made in vietnam what we do in the next war is because of the mistakes we did in afghanistan and iraq military speaking tactically speaking not politically um so i i think tactics is a huge thing for me is like if I can look and like see a battle scene, oh, movies are the worst, but like if I can read a battle scene and I can find three or four loopholes that you're not talking about that I feel like would have been exploited against your characters, that's an issue for me. And you know, I'm happy to point it out, but 
But I think with battle tactics, you got to draw it out. If you don't have experience, draw it out. We used to sandbox every mission that we did. We literally would draw on the sand. Hey, you're here, here, and here. We're doing this and this. We're forcing the enemy to do this to accomplish this. I think you got to do the same thing. If you're going to have a big battle theme, you better draw it out and you better think of different. You better think like the enemy. Once you plan the good guy side, you got to turn around. You got to plan the bad guy side. What are they going to do to counter all these things that you just did? So, and I think, I mean, it's a fun game of battleship with yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds like an easy though. way to raise the stakes for your story, though. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's a good tip. Well, I'm, I guess we're at that mark. Yeah. Old I father wanna, time is swooping in, boys. I, I know. We got like five minutes left. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is, I think we need to do another episode um, a couple months from now. Let this one sit because, you know, we didn't get to ask. I wanted to ask Brent some questions about, you know, being raised in um, a military family and having to go through that. So I think we should do another episode um, and go a little deeper with Nick with whatever subject within that realm he wants to go. And then also whatever Brent wants to actually talk about being raised in the military, because I think characterization wise, writing wise, it is just the military is just more than just a soldier. It is the people around you and how it affects. Or you weren't ready to answer. I, I oh, missed. No, I was, I was ready. I was, I was, no, like I was ready say, to do you want to throw a couple it? out there? I did start the recording about five, six minutes early. I'm just, I'm just trying yeah, to we figure can out. To- okay. We can no. totally Nick. I I'm going to, I'm going to bow to Nick. Cause I know Nick had specific questions that he wanted to yeah. ask. Her. I, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with, military dependents, um, children of military members and stuff like that. And I, I know how, how lonely and hard it can be at times, but I, I kind of want to ask you what was the best thing about it? And then also what was the worst thing about it? The best thing about it was that I got to see so much more of the world than I think most kids my age would have gotten to see. Like, I mean, I got to live in Central America for two years. I've lived in Alaska, seen the Aurora Borealis. I've lived in Hawaii. I've seen lava out of volcanoes. You know, I've, I've, I've seen some crazy, incredible things that I think, you know, someone wouldn't normally see in their childhood. And I think that has made me a much more like, I would say globally minded person. I don't know if that's the right phrase for it, but you know, I'm not like, I know America and the West isn't the center of the world. And, you know, I also know that we're not the grand heroes that we like to make ourselves seem to be. Um, So, yeah, that's the best thing. Uh, The worst thing. Um, You can pass on this one, too, because I know it can get dark. I can answer it. Um, The worst thing was never having anything permanent, really. Like, I hear people all the time talk about, oh, I've had this friend since kindergarten, or I've had this friend since third grade. I don't know where a single person from my third grade is doing. In fact, I had three third grades. Um, When people talk about things like high school reunions, I went to two high schools. I don't have any value in those things. Or like, you know, 
people talk about, oh, I grew up with my cousin. I have a favorite cousin. I don't have that. I didn't grow up with my cousins. You know, I maybe saw them once a summer, you know. So, um, yeah, the only permanent things were my immediate family. And like every and I think it's weird. It plays out in certain things. Like for me, like I I live pretty sparsely. I don't have a lot of things. And it's because I I understood from a very early age that people and things don't last. And um, it's also, you know, it, it cascades into many areas of my life. And I know like sometimes like I know to some people like they think like I can be kind of really detached from emotions and things. And, and it's like, yes, I am detached sometimes because, you know, um, that was a survival mechanism. You can only go through so many heartbreaks as a kid. You can only lose so many best friends. You can only lose so many favorite teachers or, or you you know, and it was like over and over and over again. Like there's literally not a single grade where our single like section of school where I actually had one school. So I think I had like two kindergartens, then three third grades, two fourth grades, two fifth grades. I had, um, and then I had, you know, high school split in half. I had to go to a different high school in my last two years. So it was like, literally, there was just nothing ever was permanent for me. So if that was, yeah, that would be the worst thing. Consistently inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's definitely, that's definitely the, um, the part and and there's so much. I mean, we'll probably talk about this on the next episode. But there's like so much guilt, and 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 it just wrapped up in these things, and then your relationships with your parents and how it plays out. And yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's there's definitely a lot to to deal with. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I and I get a lot of what you just said too, because you know I. I I got to experience that as an adult, but not as a child. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm, that's why I'm surprised my brother joined the military, to be honest, because part of me was like, it's you didn't it, get though. enough when we were kids? But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, it, it's not it's not uncommon to see a child follow, follow in a parent's footstep if they, you know, yeah. experienced it for so long because it's what they're used to. It's, it's the normal Oh yeah, no. So, there's not a war Lambert hasn't fought in from World War One to present. We have had a Lambert in every single American conflict. There's, there's like a my good grandfather chance. was in World War Two. Good chance our family fought side by side and we didn't know it because my mom, my mom, yeah, I mean, all agree. <laughs> we go back Revolutionary War. We've had a family member always there. Uh, yeah, I don't know how. I, I know World War One. I, I don't know if anything beyond that, but like. From them to now, there has been a Lambert in every single one. And yeah. I mean, we knew my little brother was going to go, but um, yeah, I was not going to go. For I was like. Perspective on that. That's every other generation. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. Because yeah. this last war, there's been some people who had a baby that first year while they were deployed, whose child is now has gone over there as well. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I in terms of 
this episode and what we've talked about. We've talked about my personal experiences, a little touchy touch on my service, but my experiences with PTSD coming out of the service and transitioning back into civilian life. What I want to say in regards to writing is don't be afraid to write military characters as like, if you are listening to this show, I'm your sensitivity reader. Email me, hit me up on the show. I'm happy to do so, but I hope you guys understand. Okay. I'll charge $5. Um, (laughs) I'm selling myself short. Okay. It's, it's fine. Five whole dollars. I need soda. Um, (laughs) You know, but I, I hope you guys can kind of look at this and know that this is my situation. This is my experience. Um, There's a lot of good interviews out there that if you are writing military characters, you know, go over those interviews. Um, But I'm happy to read anybody's stuff out there. I'm happy to keep continuing this conversation. I've, been on panels for PTSD um, at conferences, you know, with psychologists there nonstop and with a couple other writing conferences around here as well. But uh, yeah, just hope you guys got a lot out of this and I didn't scare you away from writing anything. All right, next. So tell me what keeps you writing? <laughs> oh man. What keeps me writing is you guys. Uh uh, and I'll be honest here, like you, you guys are a big support system for me, but like, I like writing stories that have an emotional impact on others. Um, and that's kind of like where I'm finding my superpowers, emotions and characters and stuff like that. So I, I like, you know, what keeps me writing right now is the hope that I will publish something that at least one person in this world will pick up and it changed their life. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.